Good morning. morning. The reading this morning comes from Ephesians 1, verses 11 through 23. Um, If you prefer a smaller print Bible, that's the red one, and it'll be found on page 892. And if you are like me and prefer a larger print, um, that's the blue Bible, and you can find the scripture on page 1423. We have also received an inheritance in Christ. We were destined by the plan of God, who accomplishes everything according to his design. We are called to be an honor to God's glory because we were the first hope to hope in Christ. You too heard the word of truth in Christ, which is the good news of your salvation. You were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit because you believed in Christ. The Holy Spirit is a down payment on our inheritance, which is applied toward our redemption as God's own people, resulting in the honor of God's glory. Since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, this is the reason that I don't stop giving thanks to God for you when I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that makes God known to you. I pray that the eyes of your heart will have enough light to see what is the hope of God's call what is the richness of God's glorious inheritance among believers, and what is the overwhelming greatness of God's power that is working among us believers. This power is conferred by the energy of God's powerful strength. God's power was at work in Christ when God raised him from the dead and sat him at God's right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority and power and angelic power, any power that might be named, not only now, but in the future. God put everything under Christ's feet and made him the head of everything in the church, which is God's body. His body, the church, is the fullness of Christ, who fills everything in every way. The word of God for the people of God. As we prepare for this morning's sermon, I invite you to pray with and for me. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts Be acceptable in thy sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Never mind daylight savings. To live in this decade is to live in a period of time in which it feels as if we have broken the concept of time. If the sentence that I just read to you is confusing, I suspect that you are not on social media. For much of the country and the world, our own concept of time has been stretched and prodded, torn and used in problematic ways. Therapists will tell you that in recent years, we are as anxious as we've ever been. I read a remarkable article a couple of weeks ago titled, The 2010s Have Broken Our Sense of Time, and I want to share a little bit about that article with you. The writer says, it happened so quickly between 2014 and 2016. Everything from Apple Music to HBO Now to Apple News launched or relaunched. The Amazon Echo, Google Home, and Apple Watch hit the full market. Publishers established the current form and tone of the news push alerts that you receive. Facebook launched a live streaming function and then deprioritized the function when people aired violence. Instagram launched the ephemeral, inexhaustive stories so that you can share, as they put it, everything in between the moments that you care about. The writer goes on, the 2000s were a tough decade full of 
terrorism, financial ruin, and war. But the 2010s were different, somehow more disorienting, full of molten anxiety, racism, and moral horror shows. Maybe this is a reason for the disorientation. Life had run on a certain rhythm of time and logic, and then at a hundred different entry points, that rhythm and logic shifted a little, sped up, or slowed down, or disappeared, until you could barely remember what time it was. And so it is in this context that we come to this passage from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, in which he writes about remembering. Remembering who God is, and who you were created to be, and what you were created to do. And the thing is, you can't properly remember in a vacuum. To remember, you must know where and when you are. You must be rooted. And yet here we are as a society, unrooted, increasingly unmoored, increasingly cast about in a disorienting time to the extent any of us can remember what time it is anyhow. It is hard to remember anything when you don't know where you are without identifying markers along the way. This is what happens when you lose track of time. Scientists tell us that inmates who are placed in solitary confinement are three times more likely to self-harm than the rest of the prison population because they lose those markers. Nationwide, suicide rates are up 25% in the last 15 years alone. We have lost our sense of time. And it all makes me especially grateful for the rhythms of the church. Do you know what I'm saying? What we do Sunday after Sunday gives shape to our lives, individually and our lives together. We are rooting ourselves in this place and with one another as we worship God, as we serve God's people, as we learn and share and grow. Church isn't a sanctuary from pain, it really can't be, but it can be and should be a sanctuary from disorientation, a place for us to orient our lives. So we come here to this place to sing songs, to pray together, to greet one another, to hear a word from Holy Scripture. And in this morning's Scripture lesson, we learn that what roots us more than anything else is the resurrection of Jesus. It's no accident that we divide time, B.C. and A.D., based on the birth of Christ. The writer of the letter of the Ephesians reminds the Ephesians and reminds us that this connection with Jesus is stronger than anything else. Here is what he says. God's power was at work in Christ when God raised him from the dead and sat him at God's right side in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority and power and angelic power, any power that might be named not only now but in the future. God put everything under Christ's feet and made a head of everything in the church, which is his body. His body, the church, is the fullness of Christ who fills everything in every way. 
And it's nice. It's good that we are connected in this way. But on the day in which we remember those who have parted by death in a culture that feels as disconnected as ever, in a time in which loneliness is an epidemic, it is hard not to feel cut off from God sometimes. You ever feel cut off? Far away? Less like we are in the presence of the fullness of Jesus who fills us in every way and more like something's off. Something's not quite as it ought to be. It is especially uh, difficult in my experience to feel a part of the fullness of God and the fullness of life when we are in the presence of grief, of loss. That kind of thing will leave you feeling unrooted, restless. Now, I am a person who is familiar with restlessness. Those of you who know me well know that I can be a fairly restless person. I suspect that it is exhausting at times to work with me. I can only say that I come by it honestly. I've always been this way. I am fairly restless in my work, but the nights are the hardest part for me. I'm not a great sleeper, which is a bummer because I really like to sleep. I don't know how you all who have kids handle it, but in my house, I am the designated parent I'm the one who deals with it when one kid walks in at two in the morning having had a bad dream or when the other kid needs something in the middle of the night. It is likely as not that I was awake anyhow. I've always been this way. And so I've done a pretty good job at figuring out how to cope. I may find 20 minutes during the lunch hour to just nod off for a minute if I've had a rough night. I know my body pretty well at this point, so when I need to slow down and catch up, I, I know that and I can do it. And when I'm really struggling at night, when I'm tossing and turning, when I'm not able to get comfortable, I'll lie in the floor so as not to wake my wife and I'll grab a quilt off the quilt rack which is across the room and I'll lay it across myself to keep warm. There are two quilts on that quilt rack. I've talked about each of them in sermons before. They are treasures of mine. One of those quilts was made out of my grandfather's shirts after his death. The other quilt was quilted in our wedding colors in a double wedding ring pattern. And it hung behind the altar at Cannon Chapel at Emory University in the place and on the day on which Stacy and I were married. Both of those quilts were made by my grandmother, who we called Nanny. Now, Nanny died about a year and a half ago on Mother's Day of all days. It was sad. We were close. She and I were really the only members of my large extended family that were involved in traditional church, as you might understand it. Her death was a hard loss. Death is always a hard loss for a lot of reasons. The family stuff that bubbles up in those kinds of situations. She was my last grandparent. Like all, with all deaths, time helps, but grief doesn't go away. Not for any of us. You just start to be able 
to see around it. It becomes more manageable. And so I may be restless. We all may live in a time when many of us feel unmoored, disconnected. But on nights when I am not able to sleep, depending on which quilt I reach for in the dark, I am either covered by a patchwork of my grandfather's shirts or by a symbol of family that hung in the chapel where Stacy and I were surrounded by the people who loved us the most. Some of those people are still alive. Some of them have died. And yet in those moments, as I lie on the floor of all places, the walls of time become so thin as to become permeable. Now I may be telling you something you already know, but in ancient Greek, the language in which the letter to the Ephesians was written, there were actually two words for time. Kronos and Kairos. I don't like getting deep in the weeds of the Greek all that often, but you should know that Kronos is chronological time. It's the ticking of seconds, the passing of days. This thing happens before that thing. Kairos time, though, is more mystical. It's the right moment. The one that stands apart from all the others. One writer describes it as the world takes a breath and in the pause before it exhales, fates can be changed. Because Greek is the language in which the letter to the Ephesians was written, this understanding of time frames Paul's writing of that letter. The idea that there is something deeper and higher than chronological time, something beyond it. There are key moments. And as the writer Frederick Buechner says, in God's world, in the final analysis, all moments are key moments. And life itself is grace. These key moments connect us to God, to one another, in this revolution of time, this brokenness, this change in our understanding of how time works, we, you and me, have an opportunity to remember as we reorient ourselves that in God's world all moments are key moments, that the time and the space that separate us from each other, even from those who have gone on to heaven, that time and that space is permeable. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews says, we are surrounded, you and me, by so great a cloud of witnesses. And here in the letter to the Ephesians, we are reminded that we are all inheritors of the resurrection of Jesus. We've all inherited it together. He says the Holy Spirit is the down payment on our inheritance, which is applied toward our redemption as God's own people, resulting in the honor of God's glory. We all get the same inheritance, a fact which connects us across time and across space, even across the veil of death. 
The scholar Guy D. Nave notes that in this passage we learn that God has a plan, a mystery that has been active since the dawn of creation, but is now being revealed and fulfilled in Jesus. The mystery is a plan to gather up all things into one thing, really into one person who is Christ. God is gathering all of creation into one harmonious unity in which all share in the divine life of Jesus. God is gathering all of creation into one harmonious unity in which all share in the divine life of Jesus. My God, what a thought that is. Friends, in these strange days, when it seems like time is broken, akimbo, what my grandmother nanny would call cattywampus. Do you know that word, cattywampus? Let us remember that time has always been more than just the ticking of seconds. Always been more than just chronological. And for as disoriented as we might all feel in these days, there is only one proper orientation, and that is rootedness in Christ together. So that on this day, on this day on which we remember those who have died in the last year when we mourn the loss of people that we have so dearly loved, it is the case that those people are as close to us now as our own breath. I don't know who you brought with you in your heart this morning, but it is the case that those people are here. When we gather around God's table, They will be with us. Let me end this way. The Canadian preacher John Gladstone tells the story of a young pastor who served a tiny, tiny congregation in the middle of nowhere. It was part of the practice of this congregation to offer communion every week. And one Sunday, there was snow, it was cold, it was nasty outside, and attendance was horrid. It was so bad that the pastor wondered if he should even bother to have worship, let alone set up for communion. Well, he thought about it for a minute. He said to himself, I'm here. I already brought the bread and I already bought the wine. And so we set it out and he began worship. And in the middle of the liturgy, he got to the part that we say every time we offer communion. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. And he paused. And he read it again. And so, with your people on earth and all the company of heaven. And in that moment, he prayed, God, forgive me 
for I did not realize I was in such company. Thanks be to God. Amen.